So we're going to jump in the Bible, Matthew chapter 20. I don't know what I'm going to do for the next few weeks, but at least for today, I'm staying in the text where we've been, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about reigning with him, reigning with him, um, because the disciples were very interested in what was going to happen and whether they were going to get to reign with him. When you have a king who's preaching a kingdom, you want to reign with him. And that impetus was inside of them. And then Jesus comes like he always does and, and, and lets us know that somehow, some way, we don't quite get it. And he, and, he, and he pulls on us and calls us to get it. And this morning, as I'm going into the scriptures, one of the things that I'm saying is, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see what I don't see. Help me to understand what I don't understand. Don't allow me, Lord, to, to not only move on bread that's old, but don't allow me to move in ideas that are not centered on what you're really up to. When Jesus came in the world, he did something and he changed something fundamentally and he loosed the power of a kingdom and you and I are inheriting that kingdom. And the Bible says it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Every kingdom of this world can be shaken, but not this kingdom. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Since we are therefore receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You know who that was being written to? A group of people whose faith was faltering. A group of people who were flagging in their zeal. And the writer of Hebrews comes and says, open your eyes. And so we have to see this morning. And so Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, and those of you who remember, I've been doing this a lot. I'm going back a little bit. This is back a few verses because I went through this really fast. Truly, I say to you, in the new world, what? This is only, this, this is only two times that this word is used in the whole New Testament. Why was Jesus using these words? It was because Peter had, had spoken to him concerning what they were experiencing. It was because Jesus had spoken to the man who knew that he was still empty. And he was asking him, what do I lack? And when Jesus told him, it staggered the man. And Peter because listen, we're going to have Peter, James, and John. I got a word. There's a word for James in here. Because I'll talk to you about. I'll talk to you a little bit about James this morning. Peter steps up and says, "Well, Lord, what you told that man to do, that he wouldn't do, we did it. We did it. We left everything and followed you. What will we have?" And then Jesus said to them, "Truly, I say to you, in the new world." The word is a word built on the word regeneration. To be born again. And the idea is that out of this world, the new world in the kingdom of God is being birthed. And their inheritance of that new world would be immediate 
and progressive. So he says, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, and trust me, folks, he's already done it. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and sits on the throne in heaven until things on earth are as things in heaven. He must reign until he puts all things under his feet. When he sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. And then it says, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, some of you will remember, if you, if you get one of the guys who's standing, Peter, James, and John. John has a glorious vision where he's taken up into the heavens and he sees a throne surrounded by thrones. And you and I know those 24 thrones. And when we think of the 24 thrones, our mind is drawn toward 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see this mysterious language. The Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. Are Are these who died, are they alive? Is God the God of the living or the dead? They're living. So what do we know about the heavenly realm? Well, what we know is that those who are with him are reigning with him. We don't also know that because it's our inheritance to reign with him. A lot of these things we can't unpack, and I can't unpack them for you today, but it's interesting to me that as I see this, he says, the 12 who follow me will also sit on 12 thrones judging. And I don't think that this word judging means condemning. I think it means administering. English words, we, we, tend, to, we tend to get hold of uh, ideas that they connote, and we, we get the wrong idea. And he says, and everyone... Not just you, Peter. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and inherit. And then there's that word again. The life of the ages. The life of the particular age that is to come. And then he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Which is, immediately we go, uh uh-oh. Wait, you just changed the rules. You guys know there's rules for everything, right? We're living, by the way, in a time of social and political deconstruction and religious and spiritual deconstruction. Everything's being torn apart. And we're getting all kinds of new rules. And I don't know about you, but I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm a little stressed out. I have to constantly look at these eternal things because when I, when, I, uh, when I read... I don't read newspapers, but when I read online papers, I get a little stressed out. By the way, I don't mind the the new rules of having it delivered to me right here, (laughs) but I mind the new rules of how I'm like, wait, everything's changing. Do I need to be worried? (laughs) Don't be afraid, Jesus constantly says. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And then I strengthen myself in the Lord and I, and, I, and I stand up and I declare the mysteries of God. But Jesus, you see, something's happening here. A guy has been turned away. 
Another guy has says, what about us? And Jesus gives him words that would make him go. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Peter is like, he's like getting strengthened. But then Jesus says, but many who are first will be last. By the way, it's illustrated in what he's saying. Whatever it means that, that, it, that it says that, those, that, that you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, understand this, that means the guys who came last are administering the guys who came first. Just a thought. And then he just says it. Many who are first will be last and the last first. And I have no doubt in my mind that the disciples were going I see people listen to preachers all the time. They go, yeah, 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 yeah. And I go, sometimes I'll go, what did he say? Um, I don't know, but it felt good. So Jesus now explains it. It's illustration time. For the kingdom, you know, the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom that's of heaven, is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. Now, this is the picture of what we have today where people who have jobs go and hire day laborers. This actually still happens. And people go to work for services that, that they show up as day laborers and people come and get them. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, a day's wages is a denarius. He sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, hmm, that's a little later. That's toward nine in the morning. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. First, I'm going to give you a denarius for a day. Then he says, I'll pay you what's right. So they went out and going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So the way this works is from daylight to dusk, there's about a division of about the 12. And that's the way they saw it. And sometimes it would be fluid because, you know, days get shorter and longer. And so it was, there was a fluidness about it. About the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. Now, I don't know if you know what this means, but this means that these were not exactly the best workers you could find. You have, I mean, you really have to understand it. These are the unchosen. And this is really important because every one of you have lived your life and at some point felt like the unchosen. Felt like the what about me? And Jesus has given us a kingdom lesson and he's now said, let's talk about the unchosen. He says, you're going to the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, because the last are first. Up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now what Jesus, you see Jesus is really working these guys and he's setting them up. And, and uh, these guys behind him are like, 
Whoa. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Because after all, we believe in equality. We believe in fairness. If, if you come from a big family, that's not fair. That song's going to get sung a lot around you. You ever hear that over at the Cox house? That's not fair. And Jesus is hearing this from, or he says, he says this, they're hearing this in, in the crowd. That's not fair. So it says, and they also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled. Let me just give you one little hint about the Bible. Grumbling never works out. <laughs> I, I always wondered, when I became a Christian and I started seeing every time somebody grumbles in the Bible, they're the ones in trouble. And then I realized that was why both my grandfather and my father, every time I whined, they said, boy, I'll give you something to whine about. And we always stopped grumbling right there. We, we, got, we, we found religion right there. <laughs> they grumbled at the master saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. This is the birth of labor unions. <laughs> but he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. I don't hear much yes, Lord, going on. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So then, in case you missed the point... The last will be first, and the first will be last. And this is Jesus' economy. So, I mean, you, you got to follow it. You, you got to understand it. Jesus upsets everybody. And I, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, I feel it. Don't you feel it? I feel it. I feel the injustice. I feel the unfairness. I feel the what the heck is going on this. And, I'm, and half of us think that prayer is telling God his business. <laughs> Can we talk? And so Peter comes with a question. You can feel him lifting up and you can feel you can feel the anxiety rising again. Because we're not so sure about this last being first and first being last. And this is a kingdom value. So I told you I was going to complain, so it's my turn. So when I was with Randy at VOA, and our whole staff was there, Randy began the process of, 
of announcing, I must decrease and he must increase. Randy spoke less, was on the platform less, manifested himself less than I've ever seen him. Instead, were seven young men and women who Randy took great pains to introduce, great pains to lift up, great pains to, to give platform to. And they prophesied and they ministered and they preached a little bit and they got slots in the, in the breakout sessions, right? And the easiest thing in the world for me would be to go, wait a minute, I've been with Randy for like 18 years. What's going on here? Come on, let's talk. Come on, let's really talk. And what's happening? What's happening is that Randy sees some people and his favor comes on them and they get moved right to the front of the line. And I'm like, that dude's like 12 years old. (laughs) I earned all this. Right? Hallelujah. Well, what, we, what we want to do is so belong to Jesus that no matter where he puts us in the line, it's enough. You know, I, it's the same thing with those parables about the Lord. He gives some this many and some this many and some this many, and it's inequitable. And every, listen, every person that's ever ministered has looked at other people and seen their portion and said, and it's so wonderful when you finally get to the place that you actually read and ingest and receive what God's saying. And you go, yeah, that's God's doing. It's none of my business. And you can come into some rest. But this is big, big, big here. I mean, this applies to all the good things. This is saying that Jesus says this. I'm going to pour my favor out. He said, I'm going to pour my spirit out on what? All flesh. Everybody. And he's going to give to everybody, regardless of their labor, the fullness of a reward. That's kingdom. Now, it's not finished yet because this thing takes a couple more twists. And uh, I love it. Now that I've learned to read the Bible more narratively. In fact, quoting verses from the Bible at people to prove your point is almost the worst way ever to prove your point. Because these, these teachings live inside of stories that change everything. Well, this thing's about to change again, and it gets a little weird. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. Time for some private time. And on the way, he said, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And then he gives, us this, gives them this word. Now, remember, he's just talked about the new world. And he's just talked about the kingdom of heaven. Just one more press on that. I want you to see. The goal of God in our world is not to destroy it, but to make it brand new. A new heaven and a new earth wherein is righteousness. 
The restoration of all things. You say, what do those images of fire mean? Fire always means purifying. Sometimes it means consuming to get rid of the old and make room for the new. But it's always about renewal. And now he goes and he says, we're going to Jerusalem. And the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles. And he tells them exactly what's going to happen. He's going to be given into the hands of his worst critics. And they're going to give him into the hands of Israel's worst enemies. To be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the new day. Now get hold of this. They've just been told about a kingdom with thrones in it. And thrones that they get to sit on. Then he's spoken to them cryptically about the last being first. And then he tells them it's time for the first to be made last. It's time for the one to whom all thrones belong to relinquish them all. To the power of those who have the thrones. Do not even pretend to tell me that you think you understand this thing perfectly well. Because we have inherited a thing that we probably understand only slightly better than the apostles did. I know that because I see our politics. Mine included. Oh. When I was teaching the kids about revival history, I realized how little they knew about what they were inheriting. It was interesting for me to be teaching second year Global Awakening students and to find out some of the key names of people who fathered the movement of the spirit that we're in. They don't even know who they are. They don't even know. And the pastor of the second year students was um, uh, Colleen Sullivan's dear friend from when she was a student at Global. So I got to spend time with Kathy and a couple of the other pastor leaders. And over lunch, she looked at me and said, I have a word for you. And she began to speak to me about what, what she saw. And um, can I tell you about how words are? When you live in a prophetic community, you get a lot of words. To tell you the truth, most of the words sound like rain on a tin roof. And they kind of roll off. But every once in a while, somebody tears the roof off. And I had one of those moments. At the same time, 
as just a passing thing, she says to me, did you know that today's the anniversary of Thomas Aquinas' vision? Now I'm saying that, and I, I imagine most of us don't even know anything about that. Now anybody who knows me knows that I, I love everybody who loves Jesus. You heard my prayer. And I love the Catholic Church. I have some serious disagreements with it. But one of the things that I cherish about the Catholic Church is that they, that they stewarded the history of supernatural power. Whereas the Protestant Reformation stewarded rationalism. It's really true. Stewarded very well the personal experience of salvation. The, the, the Protestant Church steward, has stewarded that very well. But the other kinds of experiences of the Holy Spirit, not so well. We tell them about, we tell about them as they're strange things. And, not, and, and it's only been in, with the charismatic renewal that we tell about them as if, no, this is normal. We expect this to happen all the time. So I went back and I had that word in me. And I went back and said, let me read about Aquinas and his vision. Thomas Aquinas is a one of the massive doctors of the Catholic Church, one of the most prolific writers and the greatest theologians uh, that's ever lived. And he only, he didn't live to be 50. In his last year, he was, he was writing on the Summa Theologica and he was ministering the Mass and he had a vision and he saw things in heaven. And this great doctor of the church put away, his, put away his pen and he never wrote another word because he said in comparison to all that I have seen all that I have written is straw. Nobody in the Catholic Church does theology without studying Aquinas. But Aquinas says, no, 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 you don't understand. One, one, one vision. And this is what I'm telling you at this moment, at this point. We must see Jesus. We must live in the revelation. We must say, Lord, I'm willing to repent every day until I get what you're trying to give me. Sort me out. These disciples are in the process of being sorted out. It's a beautiful thing because they don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. And he doesn't throw them away. He stays right with them. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he'll be raised on the third day. He told them exactly what was going to happen. And they had no grid for it. And couldn't get it. Look what happens next. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John. So we've had Peter. And I, I love, listen, these gospel accounts, they're not only, they're not only uh, wonderful records of our faith, but they are literary masterpieces. That, that Matthew would put together the snippets of the things that are happening in this fashion. He's taking us along with him. 
The mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said, what do you want? Because after all, we all have to tell God his business. She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they, now the sons, said to him, we are able. Then you will drink the cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those to whom it has been prepared by my father. Oh, Jesus, you do this to us all the time. So what is the cup, right? If you go in the Old Testament and you go in the the book of Jeremiah and Isaiah, you'll find them writing about the cup. And the cup, as it's described in those two prophets, is the cup of wrath. It's the cup of the wrath of God. It's the judgment that comes on the nations. And it's God saying... I'm going to make you so drunk, you won't be able to fight. And then I'm going to, it's, and it's, I'm going to pour out my wrath. Are you able to drink the cup that I'll drink? They said, we're able to drink it. It's worthy of note that before the movement of God's people, even gets out of Jerusalem, James is gone. Killed for the faith, drinking the cup. But I want you to notice how persistent our view of exaltation is. Jesus has just told him the last will be first, and then he told him what's going to happen to himself, how he the first was going to be last. And then they come with this question, Mom comes with this question. It, honestly, the boys should have said, Mom, go home. <laughs> but they were ready for her to speak for them because they said, sure, yes. Because somehow in their mind, they can't get reigning separated. They can't, they can't get it separated from glory. They can't get it associated with glory. And he says, but to, sit at my, but to be at my left and my right is not, is not available, but it's for those to whom it's been prepared by my Father. I won't say too much about this, and I won't say that I know that this is absolutely true. But it's informative to us that we don't find anyone at his left and his right hand until he's lifted up on the cross and there are thieves with him. When the statement of the king of the Jews is above his head, And so once again, he's saying, you don't get it. You don't get it. And when the 10 heard it, oh, you got to love this. (laughs) They were indignant of the two brothers. (laughs) 
They just heard a story, and now they're, now they're indignant. And their, their indignity is that the brothers got there first. Because you, you read this all in there. Now, now listen, guys, listen. Here's the beauty of it. He doesn't throw them away. He stays with them. He says, I'm, I'm working with you. The mess you are, I'm taking you. Listen, you, Jesus is not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with you. He's not done with you. He's not throwing you away. He's not kicking you to the curb. But his plans for you may shock you. And 100% until his kingdom fully comes, his plans will involve some humiliation, pain, loss, frustration. I want success. I want favor. I want victory. But I did put my hand in the hand of one who has nail scars. And I did say, I will follow you. Don't come under condemnation. Don't go there. He won't let them go there. He will tell them the truth. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever would be great must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Every time I see that phrase, I remember those Moravian missionaries from, what, almost 200 years ago who, in their passion to go wherever Jesus wanted them to go, some of them sold themselves into slavery to serve, in a, in, serve along the Africans in, in slavery in America so that they could be ministers to them. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I always, can I tell you the truth? I always fall into the temptation of seeing the way things are. And I always keep falling into the business of, can we just fix this? And I have it in my mind that we're supposed to take over. And sometimes the movement that we're in, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes the movement that we're in is, uh, is, called, a, is, is called by its critics a dominion movement. You guys all know about, I don't talk about it much because I, I have some differences about how it works out, but you all know about the seven mountain strategy? That in, that in culture, there's like seven mountains of power and influence. And that the seven mountain strategy is for believers to move into the seven mountains. But somehow, almost always, when, and that's government, law, medicine, entertainment. These, these realms of power and influence in culture. And somehow we always have it in our head that, that we're supposed to get those mountains. I, I, I want to tell you that other people have them. I just want you to know. And, and, uh, and we're in a time in the American church where we're, we're probably in one of, the most, one of the most profound, open times of rejecting the Christian faith. And especially if you're in any way associated with evangelicalism. 
And part of that goes back to what happened when I was a young man in college and the moral majority thing rise. I've talked to you about this, but, but I, I can remember saying, people saying all the time, you know, if Christians would just vote their conscience, we could do something about this stuff. And that was a, that was a dominion strategy whether we knew it or not. And so we would shame and blame our Christian brothers and sisters into it. And then we got that thing going of the moral majority. And the recoil of culture against that is profound right now. And and you guys are living in a world where your kids, if they find out that they belong to Bible-believing churches, they're ridiculed and shamed. And they're they're told that you're hanging out with hate groups. Are you understanding this? I'll close with words from Rollin Baker that I came across yesterday, actually, and, and uh, posted them online, but most of you are smart enough to, not to go there. And so in 2012, Rollin writes, my advice to the world and to the Revival Alliance, do not announce to the world that your goal is to take dominion and to be the head and not the tail and to get to the top of the mountains. Announce to the world that you're an ambassador of love from the king of love and prove that by going lower still. We send the wrong message to the outside world when we tell them that we're here to take dominion. Like Adam, we're here to be the boss. We're here to be the best. and We're here to be the most excellent. We're here to take over. Stand together. He goes on to say, when we came to Mozambique, we were so badly treated by the government and we didn't know how to have any influence on the government. And we didn't know, and well, let's put it this way. The government offered $20 to anyone who would kill Heidi. That's how much favor we had with the government. And we just said, we're not going to become a stench to them. We're not going to become a threat to them. We're not going to sound like we're colonialists taking over. We're not. We're just going to go lower still. We're going to let them take our property and take our money and take our equipment and just let them threaten us and do whatever they want to do. And we're just going to keep trusting God and we're going to keep taking in the kids we're going to keep praying all night for food. And now note, this was 2012. And 17 years later, so that pushes it back to 1995. It's the government that brings kids to us. Everybody who knows Roland and Heidi, here's what we know. We know they, this amazing anointing for a nation. But most of us don't know the story prior to 2000 when everything they did was frustrated. Everything they did was rejected. Their properties were taken. Their properties were taken. Their kids were taken away from them. And they suffered loss after loss after loss after loss.
and they just kept serving. That's the kingdom of God, guys. Hallelujah. So don't seek greatness or position or power or platforms. Just seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he might be found. Give yourself completely to him. I still remember 2002 when I met the Bakers and I didn't understand them. But I remember Heidi Baker. Saying water flows to the lowest place. Hallelujah. At every point, the disciples still thought this thing is about being exalted. And in ways that we don't realize, we still think it's about promotion. It's going to be okay. And our Lord is as patient with us as he was with those guys. And he's not done with us. If you need the Lord to do something in your life this morning, come for prayer. Come forward. If you need the Lord to do a work of changing your mind, changing your heart, opening your eyes, helping you to see, helping you to cope with the troubles that you're facing, the pain that you're in. If you need the Lord to strengthen you because your hands are feeble and your heart is faint, He's here this morning. Or if you need like the man who ran forward last night and said, I have a bad heart. And he literally meant his physical healing. And he came and he just knew that we were preaching Jesus and that meant you could ask for anything. And he came. It's so fantastic that the Jesus who had to field all those questions can my son sit at the right and the left? What do you have for us? We gave up everything. That same Jesus would, would, before he went to the Father, he would say, ask for anything in my name. And that's the one who speaks to you this morning. 